Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. So the challenge for each of us is always understanding the events as they happen. I think that when we look at what's going on in our lives, we are always trying to figure things out. We're trying to make sense of what we're facing, what we're going through, what we're feeling, what people are saying, and how we're filtering all that information. Sometimes our past comes up and affects the way that we understand the present and the way that we either find ourselves well-surrounded or poorly encouraged in our daily lives. We can sometimes make very important decisions based on how we're feeling emotionally and that can sometimes just change the outcome of our futures. We look at how we can sometimes misinterpret things but also how we can properly interpret them. I I believe that Jesus had this ability to interpret every situation correctly as it appeared. He had this ability, the Bible says, to read people's hearts. That he didn't just focus on what it was they said or didn't say, but it was what he was able to elicit from them to help them understand better, not just about themselves, but what was required for them to take the next step spiritually in their faith. And I honestly believe that God puts us all on a journey so that we can do the same thing. He puts us on this journey facing the obstacles that we face, the challenges that we face, the people that we face, because he wants to keep encouraging us in our spiritual journey, but also he wants to develop our faith. He wants to bring about a true transformation. He knows the way to do that is by letting us live life on this journey. But he doesn't want us to journey alone. He wants to journey with us. But we can sometimes best understand that journey by looking at the very life of Jesus. And we've been doing that in this series called Journey to the Empty Tomb. And we've been understanding how Jesus lived very solitary moments in the Garden of Gethsemane last week. And and then this week we're talking about Palm Sunday, the Sunday in which he was able to do this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And when he made that entry into Jerusalem, he really came in like that Savior. He came in like that Messiah. He came like the promised one. And everybody was so incredibly excited about Jesus. I mean, that moment was the greatest moment in in Jesus' ministry where, where the crowds actually came out in numbers to proclaim him as their king. It didn't matter there was a king It didn't matter whether there were Romans there who were in charge of that territory. It didn't matter who the religious leaders were. It didn't matter how they had the authority over the people 
and over all the synagogues. It didn't matter who it was that ultimately in that moment was in charge. In that moment, the people declared that they only wanted to serve and follow Jesus. And the Bible tells us that in the moment in which Jesus is in this greatest moment of his life, he felt completely alone. It's incredible that we can find ourselves in the greatest moment of success and, and yet feel like there is no one there to truly share it with us. The crowds could be there and they could be calling our name and they could be laying down branches as they did and even laying down their cloaks and their clothes and just making it so that the ground that Jesus was upon would be seen as sacred ground. They wanted to put a layer between the dirt road and, and the hoofs of that donkey. They didn't want even the donkey to touch a normal, regular road because they knew this was not a normal, regular person coming down a common road like everyone else had gone down before it. And in that moment, Jesus was received truly for the first time as a king. I wanted to take a look at this passage that is found in the Gospel of John. And I want us to look at these verses together. And it's called the triumphant entries because there's no other way to describe it other than it was a moment of triumph for Jesus. And in verse 12, it says that the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, it just swept through the city. And then a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord and hail to the king of Israel. I want to just focus on the part that it says that there was a large crowd of Passover visitors. So there's more people than usual, and they're there to celebrate the feast of Passover. They're there for the celebration of, of Easter, for in our, in our understanding of it. And so they are there for Passover. They're there for this feast. And there's a lot more people there than there normally would be. And they're all there also identifying with the fact that Jesus is the one that has been promised. And then it continues. Let's take a look in verse 14. And then Jesus found that there was a young donkey that, and he rode on it. And he fulfilled the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Let your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. It was a donkey that had never been ridden on. Jesus was the first to do so. Let's go on to the next verse. And his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But Jesus entered into his glory and they remembered what had happened and they realized that these things had been written about him. And so they're making sense of this after the fact. And so when they write the story now, they're remembering these facts very differently than the way that they lived them. And this is important on the journey that we're on too, right? When we look back, sometimes things make more sense than they do when we're living them. We have an ability to look back and they say hindsight's 2020. Um, maybe not always, but we definitely have more clarity sometimes having lived through it, looking back and understanding events and how they unfolded much better once we've lived them. And so in verse 17, it says that many in the crowd 
had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. And so this had just preceded this moment. And so people were still, well, they believed that they were on the cusp of greatness, that God was about to do something. And he was using Jesus to do it. Because for the first time in a very long time, in hundreds and hundreds of years, someone who had died had been raised to life. And they knew that no one could do this unless God was powerfully with them. And what they wanted to believe was that because God was going to be powerfully with Jesus, he was now going to be there powerfully for them. And, and this is important because we sometimes follow Jesus not because of the truth that it has revealed, but rather for the hope of the power it can expose for our own lives. And when, and when truth is revealed and it comes to us, without the power of what that means for us personally, we may have very little interest in it, which is what happened with the crowd. The crowd seeing and then speaking of the resurrection of Lazarus gave them this hope that God could have the same power of the resurrection for them. And so when Jesus was making his entry into Jerusalem, they weren't just excited because Lazarus had been obviously brought back from the dead, but they were believing and hoping that their life will be brought back from the dead too. And so let's continue. In verse 18, that was the reason so many went out to meet him. It tells us the true intentions of why they were there. It reveals the innermost thoughts and motivations of why people were present because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do, look, Everyone has gone after him. It is in that moment that the Pharisees and the religious leaders believe that they have lost the popularity vote. That they are now going to be pushed aside and everyone is only going to be interested in Jesus and what he has to offer. And so this is what takes place in the story. But what doesn't take place is that preceding this moment in which Jesus enters Jerusalem and the crowds proclaim him to be the one they want to follow, we see a moment of loneliness in where Jesus overlooks the city and the Bible says that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the scriptures 
refers to the loneliness and also to the pain in which Jesus was experiencing in the moment in which he surveyed the very location in which he was going to be triumphantly received. And yet in the moment knowing that what was coming next was going to be the greatest moment in the pinnacle of his ministry and the height of his popularity and the moment in which everyone would proclaim him to be the one that they wanted to follow, Jesus was the most alone. And I often think of loneliness as one of the hardest things that we can live and go through in life. And you, you know this feeling of loneliness where you can be in a home and be completely misunderstood. You know this feeling because you can be in a relationship and pour out your heart and your life so that everything is about that person and not have it reciprocated and be left completely alone. You know that feeling of being there for someone and, and seeing them through their darkest moments and then when you go through yours, they are nowhere to be found. You, those people that you assumed would stand up for you, speak on your behalf, stand before the crowd and speak on your behalf in a manner that you would expect those people are nowhere to be found. You've experienced the loneliness of what it's been like to live through this pandemic. You've experienced the loneliness of what it is like for you to live a life where you lose someone that you love and you are grieving so deeply and so profoundly that no one truly understands why you just can't move on, snap out of it, move past it, and just let it go. Sometimes the loneliness is experienced because of an inability to let things go or to just forgive or just to no longer remember the way that you do. And so you find yourself living lonely. And yet we look at Jesus and we see that there are many moments in where he lived that loneliness. We saw that last week in the Garden of Gethsemane. He felt truly alone when his disciples couldn't support him through that dark moment when he was praying and crying out in believing that Jesus could somehow experience what was coming next with the help and support of his closest disciples. They wouldn't be there for him. Just like this moment where he was being received triumphantly into Jerusalem, why is it that Jesus feels so alone? The road that he is on is one that no one can truly understand. And I believe the road that each of us is on is one that no one truly understands. I believe that you, the road that you are on, the journey that you are on, even when you explain it with all of your passion and, 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 and descriptions of, of trying to bring someone into the life that you have led, they cannot experience it or feel it the way that you have. There's a loneliness in that. And one in which we can identify and see in the person of Jesus. 
There's a second part to Jesus and the road and the journey that he was on. And I want to speak to you about that as well. But it's found in a different passage. And it's time is found in the Gospel of Mark. And in Mark 16 to verse 21, it says that the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium, and they called out the entire regiment, and they dressed him in a purple robe, and they wore thorn branches, and they took this, and they created a crown, and they put it on his head. And then in verse 18, they saluted him, and they taunted, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him on the head with a reed stick and they spit on him and they dropped to their knees in mock worship. And then when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and they put his clothes on him again and they led him away to be crucified. And so in this passage that we see, it's a very different journey that Jesus is on. How do you go from everyone laying down their branches and their cloaks and their coats and making sure that your name is praised to the time in which your name means nothing? Where your name means everything and then your name means absolutely nothing. Where your name is seen as worship and then it is now mocked. How do you go from the moment where you are being elevated to the point where you are now being so debased? How, how do you go through that and still remain true to everything that God has called you to? You see, the moment in which we are witnessing this journey that Jesus is on that is alone and filled with loneliness is always leading to the empty tomb. And even if Jesus is alone when they are praising him and he is alone when they are mocking him, there is one thing that is keeping Jesus true to the journey that he is on and that is his purpose. Jesus is unwavering in his understanding of why he is here and what he is to do. That it doesn't matter who is for him. It doesn't matter even who among them may betray him. It doesn't even matter how many have gathered to praise him or how many now have gathered to mock him, to beat him, to strip him, to make him suffer and to lead him to the cross because he is unwavering in his purpose. And if there's something that I've understood in my own life is that you have to stay true to your purpose. You have to stay true to the calling that God has put on your life. It doesn't matter what others are saying, what others are not saying. It doesn't matter if they are for you or if in the moment of weakness they are now against you or if they've switched allegiances or switched their minds and opinions or if they valued you one day and hate you the next. You must stay true to your purpose. 
Your purpose is to glorify God in every season and in every circumstance of your life. Your purpose is to remain faithful to a God who can lead you not only through the moments of loneliness, but will lead you to the empty tomb experience where you can once again live in the victory for which God had already assigned to you when he gave you your purpose. You see, when you were going through the darkness, you could not imagine the light. When you were going through the pain, you could not imagine that you would have peace instead. When you were going through the hatred, you could not imagine that there would be love waiting for you. When you could not feel the presence of God himself, you could not imagine that he would be the one who would come with his power to resurrect both you and your purpose and give you the victory that he had promised at the very beginning. See, you couldn't imagine it in the moment in which you were in, but God was always leading you to the moment where you would live and experience the empty tomb. Can we say amen to that? You see, that is what God is always doing. And it doesn't matter what people are or aren't doing, what they are or aren't saying, if they are for or against, if they are there or not. God knows that if we remain faithful to him, even if we stand alone, and even if we stand in a place where we feel utterly alone, if we are with God, then that is all that we would ever need not just for that moment, but for the moments to follow. God is trying to show us through the very life of Jesus that being in a relationship with God is the most important thing. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more vital to our success. We can sometimes see our life in its loneliness, but we can also falsely interpret it when we are loved by the crowd or loved by a person. And what happens when that love is no longer there because they've passed on? What happens if they no longer love us like they used to and, and, and worship the ground that we walked on because they've cheated on us with someone else? What happens when the people that we thought would be there for us no matter what and they are no longer there for us. What happens when those things are there and then taken away? What happens? What are we going to hold on to and lean on and depend on then? What is it that is going to be not just our foundation, but our anchor in the storm, our refuge that we can run into and be safe? When we look at the circumstances of our life and say, none of these things matter because my help and my victory will always come by the hand of the Lord. You see, when we think of who God is, if all we see him as is someone who raised Lazarus from the death that had encapsulated his life and had taken him away from his sisters and from the other disciples and from his community, if all we see is a reputation of someone 
who not only did this for Lazarus, but maybe he can do this for me. If all we see is, is what Jesus can do for us instead of who he is for us, that we will never understand how we can move out of the loneliness of the life that we're in. See, I would much rather today be in a relationship with God, knowing that he has to do nothing else for me than rather be the young believer who went to Jesus believing and believing and believing every day that the reason I wanted to be in a relationship with him was because of the miracle that he could bring. At a certain point, I have shifted out of the miracle mindset into the mindset of, I want to be in a living relationship with God every day through Jesus, my friend. And I know that in that relationship, God will bless me. He will provide for me. He will care for me. He will be there for me. But I don't want to be the one who at the fire denies that he ever knew Jesus. I don't want to be the one who hides in a room when his body's been put in a tomb. I don't want to be the one who is afraid to declare what he believes and why he believes it just because I might be alone in this world in doing it in the very places where everyone else refuses to believe it. I would much rather be the one who says, if it means to be lonely in this world and be friends with Jesus and to follow him to the ends of the earth, I would take that. I will need that. Because the emptiness that I feel without Jesus, the darkness that overtakes my mind and my spirit, because of the brokenness that I've lived apart from Jesus, I now know that there is nothing that is more important than that relationship with Jesus. There is nothing that means more than that relationship with Jesus. The disciples figured this out eventually. And they wouldn't stand with him at the cross, but then many of them had to endure their own cross because of their faith in Jesus. They didn't get it right away, but they eventually did. And everything that they had learned and everything that they had gone through and everything that they had experienced finally came back and it made sense to them. In many ways, that's exactly what's happened in my own spiritual journey. And I believe the same is, is happening in yours. This is the moment that we are all in, that we can all 
move forward with greater depth. I don't want to be the one in the crowd who showed up because he heard that Lazarus or had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. I don't want to be the guy who, with this branch in his hand who lays it down on the ground and celebrates Jesus and calls out Hosanna in the highest. I don't want to be that person who, who's there who's willing in that moment to follow Jesus anywhere and to do absolutely anything for him. I, I want to be the one who, when he's paraded down La Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, that when Jesus is completely alone, I want to be the one who's willing to get on the road with him and carry the cross like Peter the Cyrene did Simon the Cyrene did, who had been called out of the crowd and forced to do it. I want to say in that moment that, Jesus, I will help carry this cross. Even in that moment, I want to be that friend. I want to be that person who stays with you to the end. Because this empty journey leads to the empty tomb. And what God wants us to experience is the power of that resurrection, even through the emptiness of what it means to be on that journey, on that road. And so if you're living that emptiness right now, if you don't feel that close to God or to Jesus, if you're not willing or ready to take that kind of step and, and make that kind of decision to follow Jesus, even in the darkest, most unpopular moments of his and your life, then this is an opportunity for us together to change our perspective and to change our decision. And can I say, change our direction so that we too can love Jesus in all seasons of our life and know that he is not finished with us, that he still has a great purpose for us, that he wants to accomplish great things in us and through us, that whatever loneliness we are living, whatever aloneness we may be going through, that God is able to leave us out of that to a place where we can experience the resurrection power. Are you ready to receive that power in your life? Are you ready to receive that for you today? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come before you and as we ask that you would come to us in our loneliness, in our emptiness, that you would come to us in our darkest moments and that you would shine brightly your light of purpose, that you would give us the guidance and the comfort that we need to experience the power of the resurrection that you have in store for us. Lord, you've done great things already for us. Help us to see them, to understand them, to perceive them to see how we have not been left alone by you. 
That while others have done so, and while we have possibly done this to others, that you have not done this to us. Jesus shows us what it means to obey you, what it means to trust you, what it means to believe in your plan and in your purpose, what it means to, to be the one that follows you to the very end and how that ends not in death but instead in the resurrection. And Lord, as we look at this and understand it for ourselves, I pray, Lord, that where we are hopeless, that you would restore hope right now. In the very place where we only see death, would you bring life right now? In the very place of our lives where we feel alone, God, would you bring that sense of love and community to us right now? That we would not be here in this place and not sense how your presence is leading us to something greater. Lord, I know that your hand of blessing is upon each person that is here today. I know you have great things in store for them and for the life that you have given them. I pray, Lord, that they would not lose sight of what it is that you would want to do in their life and through it. That they would just not live for the things that they know and see and understand that they are responsible for, but they would see the things that you have gifted them and have given them a spiritual responsibility over that they would not just look at their gifts and talents, but they would see them as instruments to bring about your purpose and plans in this world. Lord, I thank you for who they are and for what you are going to do in their life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.